0: Amen. Well, I'm the substitute preacher this morning. Uh, As Andrew said, Niall Philia is the pastor here. He's out of town with his family in the great city of Chicago. And uh, if you're visiting, again, I want to just extend a warm welcome to the North Woods and to being with us. I know there's some people here who've come with uh, family, as family, with family. So for us, this is our first Christmas in the North Woods. Um, and, and it's really remarkable because it's kind of like a Christmas scene, wherever you look. So it's just been awesome to take the breathtaking Christmas scene in. But we, we just moved here, we're new to the area, my wife, Heidi, and our four children, we just moved here six months ago, a little over six months ago, from the suburbs of Chicago to work at Honey Rock, which is a camp in Three Lakes. Uh, it's a camp in grad school, it's connected to Wheaton College back in Illinois. And I am the construction manager, the new construction manager who who took the place of Bill Long, who many of you know, and he's part of this church, he and his wife Nancy. And he served at Honey Rock for almost 40 years. So it's some very big shoes to fill, and it's been an exciting thing to be brought into that role and to come to Honey Rock and to be in this community and be in the North Woods. And it's really been the convergence of ministry and construction for me. Uh, I went to seminary and, and planted and pastored a church for six years in Downers Grove, and then during that time and kind of after that time, I was uh, in construction. I've been in construction for about 20 years, and uh, but it's been like entering a totally new world up here, and many of you can uh, know what this is like, going from kind of sidewalks and homes that are close together to, you know, large spaces and woods and buildings, and and one of the big things is we went from four very distinct seasons, four very uh, uh, distinct seasons, to, to one season, winter. And uh, that's, been, that's been really funny. But we've kind of gone from, from uh, being a foreigner in this place to really feeling like family. And it's, it's really uh, because of many of you and the people that I work with, people that are part of this church, and, and just the community itself, has really welcomed us to kind of take us from being a foreigner to, to being family, and and so I would say the transition's been really great, and and it's been good, um, but I want to kind of tell a quick little story to help kind of I- illustrate something as far as how that transition has happened for us, and I think it'll it'll help give us a little bit of a picture of what it means to be the church and what our mission is as the church, um, and uh, our neighbor our neighbors are the Pulvers, and uh, Brock and Shirley—they've got five kids that are over there—and it's been really awesome the way we've connected with them and how God has brought our families together. And it takes about maybe thirty seconds to a minute when you talk to Brock to find out that he's very passionate about hunting. Um, and and I mean, everybody's into hunting, but then there's Brock who's like really into hunting. <laughs> so uh, we had this great experience when we kind of got here and we wanted to get our family into hunting and. And our oldest son, Luke, is 12, so he and I did hunter safety. We kind of got all geared up. But we were very limited um, because of me. I'm uh, a guy who came from the suburbs, from the city, and uh, and I think Brock could kind of see that, that I needed some help in, in if we were going to really get in position to get a deer. And so he kind of took it upon himself to become kind of a guide for us because uh, we were really hopeless if it was going to depend on me. Uh, and I think... The first few times we were out in the blind together, the deer laughed at us. I I kind of believe this because we came with our noisy clothes and and my my thermos and all this kind of stuff that wasn't really going to work. And Brock, however, was very patient and determined. And it all came together in the final hour, last day of gun season, and Lucas got a deer. And it was it was like. In that moment of death, it was life for our family. It was like a really powerful, amazing thing and, and really fun. And that deer is now at the butcher. And it, it's been this, you know, we went from the suburbs to slinging a deer on top of a suburban. So it's been a really, really interesting transition for us. But really, through Brock, he, he kind of got us in position, put us right in a place where, apart from him, we would have never been in that, in that situation to have an opportunity. had no chance wouldn't have happened, uh, very limited, if that was going to ever happen. But he took it upon himself, and because of his passion and his interest and his friendship to us, that became something of a reality to us. And I think it leads into what does it mean, in my mind, to be an outward-focused church. I mean, just take that example, that picture, and and think about what it would look like to be a church that is outward-focused, not inward-focused, but looking out and thinking about what it would be like to bring people to Jesus, to, to bring people into a position that really don't have the opportunity, kind of clear the way for them to, to be in that place where they could see and experience Jesus and the life that many of us have experienced. So I think this is going to lead into our text, and I, and I also believe it's gonna, it really aligns with the vision that Niall has for this church and what he's been preaching about, what he's kind of aiming towards. So let's read together the text for this morning. It's Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And uh, if you have a Bible, it's in front of you. It's NIV translation, but it, it, sh- it may also be up here. I'm going to just read it, as, uh, t- and you can follow with me. This is from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not, get into him to, could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? Jesus, we ask that this morning you would just build into our hearts a sense of expectation that you're here by your spirit with us, where two or three are gathered. You're here. And I pray that your word would come to alive to us this morning, that this story would, would become three-dimensional, that we would see it. We would see you speaking to us, that we would, um, we would bring it into our lives, that it would be a picture for us of what it means to be the church that you've called, that you've commissioned that you've brought to yourself and released for the sake of the world. I pray that it would ring true for us. So I I ask that you would give me the words that are needed. I pray that I would say what you want me to say in the way you want me to say it, that it would reach our hearts, that it would motivate us and propel us as we become ambassadors for your kingdom in this world that needs it. It's in your name we pray, amen. So let me set the stage for just a second here. This is in Mark's Gospel. You know, there's four Gospels which are, when you hear the word Gospel, it's it's the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what a Gospel is. And this is one of those four Gospels where we get this story from. And and Mark's Gospel, one thing that's particular about it, it's the shortest one. It's a really fast-moving recount of Jesus' life. He doesn't even tell the Christmas story. It's like he he doesn't have time. He just misses the Christmas story, gets right into talking about John the Baptist, and then, and then talking about Jesus being baptized, tempted, and then entering ministry. So Jesus, uh, in the previous chapters, we know he stepped on the scene, and he had a very specific announcement, a very specific word that he preached, which was the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. It's, it's right here. It's right now and I'm dispensing it. I'm giving it away. I'm introducing it. I'm going to enable you to see the kingdom of God. It's going to happen in and through me, through my life, and you'll really see it when I die and rise from the dead. And so what he invited people into was this kingdom reality, and he told them, turn around, repent. That's what it means. Turn around, go the other direction, and, and enter this, this life. Put your faith in me is what he was preaching and saying. But he didn't just say it. He didn't just go around saying this message. He demonstrated it. And the way he demonstrated it was through healing, casting out demons, um, performing miracles. And and so this is a, an example of everything kind of coming together, preaching, the demonstration of that kingdom, all happening all at one time. And as a result of this, he's becoming very popular. There's crowds that are finding him. They're swarming him from all these different directions. But now we enter chapter 2, and it's a really interesting part in this story of conflict. Everything that he's doing, everything he's saying, and all this demonstration of this kingdom stuff is going to bring him into into real conflict with the religious leaders of his time. So the religious leaders of his time, they're very cautious, they're very suspicious, and and in fact they're, they're going to turn against him and it's going to lead to his death, we know, because we know where the story goes. But this is the beginning of this conflict where Jesus is now set against the religious elite, the religious people that kind of held uh, what was okay. And they, he's, he's coming in conflict with that. So in this particular story, though, you've got a paralyzed man. We don't know much about him other than he's paralyzed, and he's unable in his own effort to even get there, to be where Jesus is. And you have these friends who, they love this man, and they, and they know something of Jesus, that he's, he's a person who can perform miracles and healing. And so they're trying to get the two together. Um, and then you have this crowd that's just huddled around Jesus. They're all cramming in around him in a very tight space, which happens in other places in the, in the story of Jesus. And then you have the teachers of the law, who I picture just there with arms folded, and they're, and they're judging and critiquing everything that Jesus says. Um, but I want us this morning kind of just imagine like a camera, just kind of coming in and picture the scene with me, and as it zeroes in all the different faces of these people and all the emotion that must have been here. And, and I want us to kind of just, I want to take one second and just kind of retell the story. So you have, you have Jesus and his fame is quickly growing. He's like a celebrity, we've, we've mentioned. And, and, and even before this little section, we're told, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So people are finding him. No matter what he does, they're finding him. Um, And he's come home in this story. He's come home to Capernaum. And he's preaching. He's telling people about the kingdom of God. And as typical, they found him. Now they're in this tight place in this house. So the paralyzed man and his friends, there's four of them. They come and they find where Jesus is. But there's a problem. There's too much of a crowd, so they can't get to where Jesus is. And so now they have to get creative. And uh, the only solution is for them to come through the roof. And then you're thinking, like, wow, this, did they have a sawzall? Like, how did this happen? It's a different type of roof. In a, a typical Palestinian house, uh, from what I read, there was, it was typically a flat roof with a staircase on the outside that would lead up there. And it was basically a layer of clay that was on top of some mats or branches. So very different from the roofs that you might picture or think of. But there they are in the midst of this crowded room and suddenly this, this roof begins to open up as these men dig through it and they lower the man in a mat down right in front of Jesus. And then you have Jesus' reaction, which is, as this man is being lowered out, and his reaction is, I see faith. I see faith. I see people that are desperate for me. And it brings a smile to his face is what I'm imagining. And then Jesus says this really strange thing, though. Your sins are forgiven. It's not what we thought he would say. He doesn't do what we're thinking he would say in that moment. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And then, um, you know, and, and this man had come, obviously, to be healed. And then the next thing, as, as the kind of the camera turns and faces these teachers of the law, okay, this, this religious, the religious leaders, and um, they don't say anything. And yet it says in the text that Jesus sees what they're thinking. So, he goes right after exactly what they're thinking before they could even say anything. He says, you know, he, he begins to speak to them and he could, begins to talk to what, what is in their hearts. Um, and really, what they're critiquing here is, who do you think you are, God? I think that's what he's, he's going after as these people are, are uh, standing there and they're thinking to themselves and reacting to what Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven. Your f- sins are forgiven. Um, Jesus is acting as if he's God. That's what they're thinking. And so now it becomes a teachable moment, an opportunity for Jesus to really explain and express and demonstrate who he is. He's acting like he's God because he is God. Uh, But he's saying to this this group of people now, for everyone to hear, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. So he, he, he brings this really important question into the, into the conversation, into the scene. And we, we know that both are impossible without God, and yet God alone has the authority to forgive sins. God alone has the, the power to heal. And so here Jesus is, acting like he's God, because he is God. Um, so Jesus is going to, in this scene, clarify who he is, that he's the son of man of Daniel 7. The one that Israel had been waiting for uh, this, all of the people at this time were thinking we're in exile we're, we're in our, our land and yet it's come under uh, conflict with the surrounding culture this is, this is not what God had in mind for us and they're, they're hungry and they're thirsty for that time when they're released from exile, when they could be God's people all over again Um, And yet Jesus comes in and he kind of bypasses the whole temple and all that stuff, and he forgives sins and he heals right there on the spot. So he does this amazing thing in front of them, and it's all done, the text says, in full view of everyone. And the crowd's amazed. We have never seen anything like this. It's because there's never been anyone like this, doing this. So what I want to do is take a minute and offer some reflections as we consider this passage together. And I want you to think about a time in your life when someone dug through the roof for you. Where you were down and out, depressed, uh, where you were overcome with grief, where you were without hope, without motivation. And someone dug through the roof in your behalf. And I'm just assuming here that many of us are here because of a friend who did that, who dug through the roof in our behalf, cared about us, and enabled us to see Jesus, made that bridge happen. And and I'm also going to assume that this hasn't happened just once for you, but this has happened many times that you've had friends come into your life who've dug through the roof for you. And what this passage is saying to us is, Jesus loves this. He sees, you know, he saw their faith, and he blessed it, and he, his kingdom came in that moment. For me, this happened a few years ago. As far as someone digging through the roof for me, a very close friend of mine named Jonathan. My father had passed away. This is what was going on in my life. My father passed away. I got laid off from my job, and Heidi and I were having a really hard time in our marriage. And it was all happening at the same time. And this friend of mine became like closer than a brother. He was the person I picked up the phone and talked to when I got laid off and I'm driving home. He was that guy who I knew he cared about me, that he was going to be with me, that he was going to be at my side. Even if he couldn't do anything for me, he was going to be digging through the roof in my behalf. And he did. And on my 40th birthday, revealing my age, um, he gave me this journal. And in it he wrote these words. And this is what I want to say is what it means to dig through the roof for someone. Gave this to me on my birthday. George, sometimes symbols matter. Today you turn 40 years old, and 40 years is one of the most profound symbols in our God story. 40 years represents a full cycle the end of one era and start of something new today you begin chapter 2 you will always draw from your experience and knowledge held up in chapter 1 but now the journey enters a profoundly new stage by the measure of any society ever you are now a man who must take his place at the council fire and lead his people we will We all will be better for it. Fire and death have come. The ashes lie all around. Today, new life rises. I am with you to the very end. I am always in your corner. When you are weak, I will carry you and show you the way. When I am weak, I will lean on you. Together with our Redeemer, we will transform the world that is into the world that ought to be. Your brother... For eternity Jonathan that's digging through the roof for someone and he did that for me and it transformed me it enabled me to in the midst of all that was happening it cleared the way for me to see Jesus my wife wouldn't be the same without him digging through the roof for me can you think of a friend you've had that has done that for you Now think about someone whom God has placed in your life that needs a friend to dig through the roof for them. Think about somebody in your life that needs you to dig through the roof for them. People that you know that are paralyzed emotionally, physically, socially. Something's going on, and they need you to dig through the roof for them. Uh, In 1999, when I finished seminary and returned home to start a new church, in the town that I was part of, I continued working as a carpenter and uh, you know which was really funny because I was trying you know I was a pastor and a carpenter and I had all the Jesus jokes that were coming at me, so it was an interesting time and uh, and I was a, a regular guy just working with people as I was a carpenter as we were getting the church plant started and I worked with a guy named Mike and and this guy Mike I learned his story quickly and he he grew up going to Catholic school, and his mother died when he was a young boy. Um, he liked to party, and he liked watching The Simpsons. You know, I kind of got all these different sides of who he was, and we worked together pretty closely for some time. And I, I invited him to come to church. I said, you know, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life or your faith journey, but I'm starting a church, and I, I'd love for you to come and, and just check it out, you know. And, uh, and he came, and he, he, he came and visited, and it was, like, really cool, because I worked with him, and he came, and... And then all of a sudden one day he didn't show up for work, and it was really weird. Like, what happened? You know, where did he go? Why isn't he here? And then like another day, and then I got a call from one of his sisters. And One of his sisters called me. I picked up the phone, and he said, um, "Mike's not going to come back to work. Um, I'm a nurse, and he's on heroin." And I was like, didn't know what to say. My mind was blown. I had no idea. Mike's not coming back to work. He's at home. He's in total recovery. He's in withdrawals right now. He's coming off heroin. And uh, and she said, and he wants to see you. So I said, I'll be right over. Get in my car. I went there, sweating in his bed. Bad bad shape. And all over his face, you can just see the shame and the guilt desperation, and he was a person who needed somebody to dig through the roof for him. And I had the privilege, privilege of being at his side right there. And And all I wanted to do was take the pressure off and tell him that he's loved and pray for him. And he let me do all that just to try to speak life into the situation into, into him and, and the point of me telling the story is there's people in crisis all around us all the time and we, we just, all we see is the tip of the iceberg you know, we don't see everything that's going on below there's people in our, that we work with in our families, in our schools, in our church and they, we need people that will dig through the roof in their behalf they're right there, they're in our lives if we'll have eyes to see it and part of me, I wrote down this question, well, how do we dig th- through the roof for someone? And after I wrote the question, I'm like, I don't think that's a good question. <laughs> and because I don't think there's a formula here. I, don't, I, don't, I think it would really dis- be distracting if we started that kind of outline, here's a bunch of steps for like, how you dig through the roof for someone. Because I really think the point is that we experience Jesus in such a profound way. We find him to be this, this person who transforms our life uh, he heals and forgives us. He brings salvation to us. He turns our life around. We become a new person. And then I think, out of that, we automatically become people that want to dig through the roof, that want to clear all, all, all the distractions, clear all the things that get in the way of other people seeing Jesus. I, I think that's how it works. That's what it means where Jesus is like, abide in me, and then you'll bear fruit. So I don't think there's a real formula here or a set of steps but I think what I'm trying to do is just give you a picture of what this could look like. Because these friends that brought this man to Jesus, they, they were full of faith. They believed that Jesus could change the situation. And maybe, and I think they believed, Jesus is the only one that could change the situation. And then within them, they had this motivation that propelled them to say, we've got to get this guy to that guy. We've got to connect these two. And so they have these two experiences going on. One is they've, they've, they've realized that Jesus is the answer, that he is the one who can save life, change life, put it on a totally different course. Then over here, they've got friendship and connection to people that don't know this yet, that need, that need help getting there. They need someone who can clear the path, who can make a way for them. And so this is what, this is what the church is. The church is that bridge that connects those two worlds together. That's, that's who God has called us to be. And this is something a child can do, okay? Let me explain this one to you. This past week, I'm driving in the car. I've got some of my kids in there, and some of the pulver kids are in there. You know, it's just crazy chaos, you know. Four, our four, they're five. It's never a dull moment, especially if you throw in Beasley and Tutu, the dogs. But we're, we're driving along, and uh, I see an ambulance ahead on Route 45. And I don't even know where I'm pointing. I'm new here. But I'm driving along. <laughs> And, and there's an ambulance coming and uh, so I, I pull over and right behind me Bryce is sitting and he's the same age as Grace and they're in f- first grade together and, and Bryce is like what's going on why are we pulling over kind of looking around curious you know? and I'm, I can see him in the rearview mirror I'm looking right at him you know, kind of just to see like, how he's reacting to this because you we know, pulling over an ambulance he's like oh oh there's an ambulance and he says real quietly let's pray You know, and I look in the mirror. Little six-year-old boy. He gets it. From the mouth of babes. He gets it. He knows enough to know that Jesus is the one who heals and forgives and can transform life. And that, in that ambulance, is somebody hurting. Somebody's hurting who needs Jesus. So he starts digging. With his prayers, he starts digging. What does it look like for the church to be this collection of people that will dig through the roof in behalf of others to bring them to Jesus? I was talking to Dave Gerlach a couple weeks ago. He's an elder in this church. And uh, first time I met him, we we're talking. He starts telling me about how uh, he's been bringing firewood to people with some other people, and, uh, and it was almost like like this is like a like a, a job. We cut it, we split it, we stack it. We you know we, we get it right to the people who need it. You know it was almost like I was watching a commercial, and I'm like, and what he's describing here is the church in action. He, and he's, like, totally uh, energized for it, and he's talking about people that are involved in it and how it's connecting with people and, and the stories of the people that they go to try to bring it to who really need the firewood and how they're like, no, I, I could never take it. And he's like, you're taking it. Or we got someone coming tomorrow bringing us firewood. Too late, we're here before they got here. It was, like, awesome hearing this story. And he's saying, like, he's like, I, I had little, uh, Sam Epler come, and, and he helps, you know. So you got, here you've got like a young kid who's involved. He's part of the church. He gets to do the ministry of Jesus, digging through the roof, bringing firewood, something real practical, person who they, they may not be able to get it. They may not be able to afford it. Whatever the reason is, doesn't matter. They need warmth. They need heat. And here's the church who, that just says, let's go do it. Let's, let's bring people to Jesus. And, uh, and in this case, bring Jesus to people. And all it is is just seeing a need and then saying, look, we're going to just clear every obstacle out of the way so that it can happen. And the vision to see that uh, here's people that need it and a willingness to get their hands dirty. That's, that's just great. And this, this past week I was watching a video. This guy, I don't even know who he is, Donnie Vincent, but he's like some extreme hunter. And it's like all this really cool cinematography, and he's like, we're 20 miles from the Arctic Circle. And he's like on a horse, and there's some antlers sticking out of his backpack, and and it's like really like amazing stuff. And you're just like, whoa, this is so cool. Uh, and and uh, in there somewhere, he may, he says this little line. He says, if you want to experience beauty, you gotta you gotta get to beautiful places. If you want to experience beauty, you gotta go where it's beautiful. He says something like this. Now. For the church, that's absolutely true. If we want to experience beauty, we've got to go to beautiful places. But Jesus is real clear. The beautiful places are where the suffering people are. It's really clear. If You read the scriptures, you read the gospels, you hear the story of Jesus, the beautiful places are the hospitals, the prisons, the shelters, anyone that's suffering, anyone that's shut in, Anyone that's paralyzed, that's, that's down and out, whatever it is, those are the beautiful places. That's where it is. Jesus is there, and if you'll go there, you'll see beautiful things. You will see beautiful things. I promise you. One of the, my favorite times when I was a pastor happened uh, when we were starting the church, you know everything's fresh. Uh, you know, you got you really. People are like, "Well, where do you meet?" It's like, "Well, we right now we're meeting in a home." Okay, um, you you don't really have a lot to offer people. What about, what about our kids? Um, just bring them. You know, every, you're just you're you're just kind of faking it until you can make it. You know, like you're just trying to pull it together the best you can to make this thing happen. But in the midst of it, you're be, it's becoming really clear what it means to be the church. You know, you don't have anything, any, no big programs, no big building, anything that you can that can help attract anybody to what you're doing. All it is is we'll, we'll love you and we'll be there with you and we'll try to point you to Jesus and befriend you. There was uh, one person, her name was Rachel, who one of the people on our leadership team had invited her into the church. She was a single mother and she had two kids. And he, this friend of ours who was part of the church said, to her why don't you come we're having a meal together and just bring the boys and just hang out with us spend some time with us and she she did we had these regular meals that we shared together so she came and spent some time with us with her young boys and um, it was just great we really like loved on her and she had a great time we connected with her she became friends with us and and it became really clear though she's pretty overwhelmed and she lived in this home and it was starting to go into disrepair and I just had this idea I said to her one time I said Rachel what if we came over on a Saturday sometime and we just like came and did some work at your, at your place, helped you out with some stuff, you know? Uh, and she was really resistant, like, oh, no, you guys, I, I don't need you to do anything. I've, I'm okay. You know, I'm like, no, I think it would be great. You know, we can just do a few things around the house and just to give you a little lift, a little support and help. And she was like, well, okay, you know, very reluctant, but she kind of gave in eventually. I just kept nagging her. So we set the date and I'm in conversation. A friend of mine from college who was was leading a youth group that I was involved leading when I was in college, he's like, hey, George, I want to bring like some people up to Chicago from Indiana um, to just hang out and, and see this church plan and be part of th- stuff. I'm like, well, that's great. Bring them. We're going to do a little work project. So we coordinated. He brought like a dozen people with him. So we had like a couple dozen people. I'm telling my boss about it at the time. He's like, oh, that's interesting. A single mom, a couple kids, you know, um I'll bring over a load of mulch. So he brings a dump truck over. All of a sudden, it became this big, big deal. And and there's kids, and they, they're staining her deck, and and we're taking these. There was, like, hot water heaters, and her crawl space, they're getting pulled out. I mean, it was like a everything you could imagine. We went through the whole place, digging around trees, planting flowers, laying mulch, and you stood back. And it was really like that extreme home makeover thing. It really was. Like, move the bus. And we're standing there, and people are laughing and having a great time and it was like a total transformation in one saturday total transformation now everybody the cars start pulling away everybody's driving away and this was like i'm not kidding one of my favorite moments as a pastor ever i'm talking to her and i say to her wasn't this awesome you know i'm just i, I was just like so full of energy to talk to her and and just to Kind of debrief with her for a minute, and she's like, "Yeah, this was like just amazing, you know." And she's just like overcome with emotion. We didn't even have really have words, but it was just this thing of like taking in this 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 kind of moment in time where she felt the grace of God come into her life. It's like we had cleared the way for her to experience Jesus in a real practical way. So it could be bringing people firewood. It could be a home makeover. There's all kinds of things out there. But in this case, it was a mom who was overwhelmed and she got to see Jesus in a practical way. Now, what, what would happen if this just became our lifestyle? This became who we were all the time. We're just everywhere we go, all that we did, this is us. We're just constantly digging through the roof for people, trying to clear the way. Here's the problem, though. Here's the real problem, if you're ready for this. It makes a mess. It makes a mess. You know, as a carpenter, whenever I've dug through a roof, cut a hole in a roof, it makes a mess every time. Uh, and you can imagine the scene, Jesus preaching, and the dirt and debris falling in his hair, you know, on the people around him. You know, so for the crowd that's here in this scene, they're comfortable They arrived on time. They're well-dressed. You know, this is is something they weren't counting on. They're there to experience Jesus, and yet, in this mess, beauty comes. And I was thinking about it at Christmas. You know, you got all the gifts and everything, right? Piled up, wrapped, and then the kids are digging through them. Digging through them, digging through them. All the wrapping paper, strewn all over the place, right? And then... As a parent, you sit there, and the kids are playing, and they're having fun, and they're, they're just full of all that joy and energy of Christmas. And what's left behind? What's left behind? The mess. All the wrapping paper, all over the place. Now, what if I came in and was like, we're not doing this anymore. No more Christmas presents, no more, none of this stuff. It's just too much of a mess. Who would do that? You know, we, The mess doesn't even matter because of the, the experience of, of opening this amazing gift. You know, you just get thrown to the side and pushed the side. You don't even think about the mess. So I just want to encourage you today and challenge you with, don't let the mess get in the way, because it will be messy. But don't let the mess distract you or get in the way. Um, it's a beautiful mess. This is like the mess at Christmas. And furthermore, Jesus loves the mess. He, he sees the mess as beautiful. Um, You know, on Christmas Eve, Niall made this connection for us between the peace of God and pleasing God. You know, when you please God, it's it's with faith, and that faith is when we get God's pleasure. Um, It comes right out of Hebrews where we read, without faith it is impossible to please God. So faith is what pleases God. So that's why I'm saying I picture Jesus smiling when he sees these people lowering this man down on a mat. He's seeing faith. When Jesus saw their faith, verse 5. So he loves desperate and messy faith. Faith that does whatever it takes to get to him. Whether it's climbing a tree, whether it's pressing through a crowd in order to grab a hold of his garment, lowering something through the roof, it's the same. He's interested in faith. He wants to bless that. He wants to, he wants to bring his life into those lives where he sees faith. And my, my boss at Honey Rock, Don Kearns, gave me this book. It's called, to borrow, I'll get it back. It's called Vanishing Faith, and maybe he thought I needed it. Or, oh, Vanishing Grace, Vanishing Grace by Philip Yancey. So, I don't know, maybe he thought I needed it. But uh, what he does in this book is he critiques a little bit the church and where we're at right now in contemporary America And that we're really not doing a really great job of dispensing grace. That when people think about what does it mean to be a Christian or they think about the church, it's not really good. You know, what the the thing that they have in mind is as far as what it means to be a Christian. It's not real good when you survey people. Um, We're not the kind of people they want to be around, to be honest. That's just what people out in everyday America would say about Christians in the church. Not the kind of people I want to be around. And he's like, how can that be? That's just, we're doing something wrong. So we've got to be better at dispensing grace. Well, there's this little piece in here, uh, a guy named Mark Rutland. I'll just read this little paragraph. Mark Rutland whimsically recalls a survey in which Americans were asked what words they would most like to hear. He predicted the first choice, I love you. Number two was, I forgive you. The third choice took him by surprise. Supper's ready. It dawned on Rutland that these three statements provide a neat summary of the gospel story. We are loved by God, forgiven by God, and invited to the banquet table. In the midst of a planet marked by brokenness, violence, natural disasters, natural disasters, ruptured relationships, the gospel is truly good news. Let's think about that. You know, And this is something where this church is already doing it. We have fun club once a month. Just come and have a meal. Come and have a meal. You know, so think about that. That's just like the church is saying, supper's ready. And people really want to hear that. Supper's ready. They want to hear, I love you, I forgive you, and supper's ready. The Eplers had us over recently, and they can tell you, I'd love to hear that. Supper's ready. Um, and... And, and for Yancey, another place in this book, he he's like, you know, as I try to summarize what uh, what the gospel is and what it is that that everything is is saying, it is that God wants his family back. He wants his family back. That's the message of the Bible. God wants his family back. And and when we do something as simple as Fun Club, it's a chance for us to be the church to be the. The hands preparing food to be the arms that set tables and the eyes that look for people that need help to be the ears that listen for people's to people 's stories, um, in my case, the mouth that talks and eats, but you know this is this is what we do as a church we come together and we become his body, one one body, many parts manifesting who Jesus is to a broken world, and I think that 's what God has in mind for us when he wants to see us be his church. So we're heading into a new year as we close. And, you know, the real key passage in God, in Mark's Gospel is, is chapter 10, verse 45. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, that's everything that Jesus wanted to do. What he came for and what he tried to model for us. That he wants that life inside of us and wants it to wants to see it Um, happen is for the church to go and serve others. And he's given that authority to us to go, forgive sins, and to heal. Um, I'm going to put a last scripture on the board, and then we're going to to sing a, a last hymn. I want you to think about this scripture. I'm going to read it. Think about people who have come and who have dug through the roof for you. And then people that God is putting on your mind that he wants you to dig through the roof for. And then to make it really practical this morning, you might be here right now and This church is here to dig through the roof for you. And um, elders are going to come after we sing this song. If you want to come and get prayer, that's what we're here for. And it's just a simple obedience to this scripture. James 5, chapter, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So we're going to sing. Think about the people that have dug through the roof for you, brought you to Jesus. Think about who God is laying on your heart that you need to dig through the roof for. And then if you're here this morning and you... You're just in a place where I need I need help. I need I need that touch from God for healing and forgiveness. Come forward, and we'll have people pray for you. Let's stand together.